podcast, we talked about why we need to look at mathematics conceptually in the secondary schools and looked at some ideas for approaching that. Nadia, today I'd really like to talk about algebra and how on earth we teach that conceptually. Why can't we just stick to the rules? Oh, you always ask the hard questions, Leanne. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's why they pay me the mega bucks. <laughs> well, I know last week I spoke a little bit about relational thinking. I'd like to start there. Now, relational thinking, as I mentioned in the last podcast, is about uh, understanding that the equal sign means doesn't mean the answer or doesn't mean the next step. It means that both sides are the same. I think as maths teachers, we kind of just take it for granted. Yeah. We understand this, but you would be surprised at how little is is understood in that area by many students. So, mm-hmm. And we but, talked about that in, in the Relational Thinking podcast. Um, I think it was Max Stevens who said that if they don't have that by year two, mm-hmm. it is going to be really hard for them to actually understand it you know, for, for the secondary teachers to actually fix that misconception. Yeah. So, but it is something that does need fixing. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And I think the best way of doing it at a primary level, I think what's so important is the different ways of introducing uh, number sentences, I guess, or yes. equations so that they're not in the standard form of this plus this equals this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, change it up. So, you know, this plus this equals this is a results unknown type question but you also want to do the the change unknown which is you know the the you know second number or the you know the start unknown or you know mm-hmm. or you want to do uh as i said last time you know 5 plus 2 equals 6 plus 1 or uh-huh. a, a really common misconception that students have a lot and even going into into secondary school is actually students thinking that something like 15 plus 7 equals question mark box x plus eight what is in the box and a lot of students will put what did i say 15 22 yeah put 22 <laughs> yeah you know and because they think that's got to be the answer mm-hmm. but they don't recognize that well no it can't be 22 it, because yeah. it has to be whatever because what about this bit on yeah, the end yeah, yeah. you know yeah. So often they just ignore it they do yeah. they do that's that's one of the biggest misconceptions so that's the very first place I would start when it um, when I'm teaching algebra. Mm-hmm. So making sure that they've got their yeah, relational understanding yeah. down pat. I'll put a, a link on the show notes to that Max Stevens article that actually gives you a little test. That- it's actually a really good article. Yeah. I've read it. Yeah, it's really good. The next thing that I will say about algebra is don't teach it in isolation because what is algebra? You know, algebra is a skill that allows you to work out problems when you don't know what the unknown is, Mm -hmm. right? So when we teach algebra at year seven, what we generally do is we start teaching students what an expression is and Mm-hmm. what a term is and what an equation is and what's the coefficient and what's yeah. the constant and all of these isolated skills that don't connect it to anything. Like what am I, why am I doing this? And and often it's the algebra topic where kid, kids go, why am I doing this? Yes. It's, just, it's, it's useless. I'm never going to use algebra in my life. But actually you will use algebra in your life. You just don't 
consider it to be algebra because anytime you've got a problem where you don't know what a number is or a quantity is in mm-hmm. any situation, you're using algebra. Yep. What time do I need to leave in order to get to that place? Yeah, exactly. If it's going to take me yeah. this long yeah. and I start at this time, yeah. that's algebra. Yep. So my advice is to always teach it in context. So whether you're teaching it in context of uh, linear equations mm-hmm. or solving linear relationships or in geometry or connect it to something. Okay, that's you know? going to be really hard if you're perhaps an early career teacher and you've rocked up at a school and you've been given a textbook and said the next topic is algebra. Mm. You got any tips for that? I would say uh, you need to make sure that you actually understand yourself what it is that you want the students to know. What's what's the end result for the kids? The end result for the kids is they want to be able to apply the skills that they learn to other contexts. Right. So give them a situation. I always start my algebra topic with, does anybody know how old I am? And most of the times this. <laughs> you know, uh, are you 50? And like, I'm 30 years old, but you're really old. You must be 50. You know, sometimes they go, are you 20? Like no concept of age. So then I'll go, okay, so you don't know how old I am. So that's an unknown. So what, what can I do to represent my age? So maybe they'll go, okay, an A for mm-hmm. age. So I'll put A. So I'll, I'll go, okay. So if in five years' time, if I say to you, and I'm being kind to myself, five years' time, I say to you that I'm going to be 40. <laughs> Let's just go with that. <laughs> yeah. How old must I be? And obviously, they're all going to know it's 35, right? It, there's no question. But if I had said X plus 2 equals 40, what's, what's X? X? Half the class might go, it's, four, yeah. you're gonna, it's 35, you know, because it's algebra, and mm-hmm. give them algebra and their amygdala just starts firing <laughs> cortisol. Oh, you know, this is stressful. I don't want to do algebra. It's really hard. You've got to start it in some sort of context. And I always think if you look at a lot of textbooks, they always they always teach algebra and then they teach solving linear oh, equations like two chapters why later. Why would you do it apart? It yep. boggles my mind because do mm. it together. Like yeah. they're, both, they're both teaching the algebraic skills. But what solving linear equations does is it teaches them the skills of actually utilising algebraic concepts to be able to solve a problem. Now, if you'd like an example of this and some really great activities, go to Calculate. I'll put the the link on the website. I got this idea from Joe Bowler, The Growing Patterns. I think it's a brilliant introduction to algebra. I certainly use it as an introduction to linear equations in year eight where you just have a growing pattern. And I usually do an an L-shape of blocks. Mm. And they end up at the end of the lesson being able to describe that pattern in five ways. Firstly, growing that physical pattern seeing the blocks or whatever you're using and showing how that pattern is growing. And then secondly, describing that in words. Thirdly, making a chart, the classic charts that we make before we plot a graph, the X and the Y. I tend to use the pattern number and the number of blocks. Then the rule or the equation and finally the graph actually plotting that graph and this is a great way of moving your students 
from the visual concrete to the more abstract without saying, all right, if it's going up by two, it's the coefficient of x is going to be two. It doesn't mean anything. Hopefully, what they'll end up seeing is that as the pattern is growing by a certain number in a linear equation, then the coefficient of x is going to be that growth. But to find that out is far better than giving them the answers. Now, if you're looking for a great source of patterns, can I direct you to Four Nguyen's site, visualpatterns.org, and they vary from very simple linear patterns to far more complex patterns. So that's a really good context to, to start in, and I find that you just do a more complex one in year eight, more complex in year nine. You can do mm. uh, quadratics. In fact, with year sixes who got really excited, I ended up doing X squared. That was the pattern. Oh, wow. And what? it's not hard to draw a graph of X squared once you plot the points. Yeah. And, oh, you could link it with a curve. That sort of curve is called a parabola. Mm. How beautiful is that That's when so you're teaching these patterns and it's this love of mathematics and, oh, by the way, this is algebra. And you just did quadratic equations. I think sometimes we underestimate what our students can do. And it's such a shame because, you know, the curriculum is so uh, just so set in levels. <laughs> you know, year seven has to do level seven. And you, you know, and I know we talk about differentiation. That's an idea for a whole nother, another podcast. But differentiation, it's not about making numbers bigger. What mm. differentiation is, is giving them those rich tasks that mm. are low floor, high ceiling yeah. that allow them to explore. And I've been in many situations where uh, I've worked with students, given them a rich task, and the teacher said, oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, Joey over here really struggles, so we're going to give him blah. And I said, no, let's just let him have a go. And he's just blown everybody out of the water yep. Be because Johnny over here doesn't understand all of the abstract stuff that's happening. What he understands is give him a something that he will, can work with, he can work, yep. he can play around with, he can manipulate, he can draw, he can and then suddenly it all starts making sense. So you've got to cater for students across all of those levels. And it's only when you have those strongly established procedural understandings that it's hard to break out, yes. right? When you've got students who have learnt procedurally and have succeeded procedurally, it's really difficult to break them out and move them into the mm. conceptual. That's why they hate it. That's why they, they push back. Yep. But um, but teaching them from that level, from that point upwards, it's, it's so easy and it's so much more effective. The other thing to incorporate when you're doing algebra is bar models. So I don't know if you've ever worked with bar models or many teachers who are listening have worked with bar models, but bar models are my new favourite thing. Oh. They're, they're used a lot. China uses them a lot. Singapore mm, uses yeah, them a lot. Yeah, I've seen them in the context of Singapore maps. Yes, yeah. um, but they're so, so effective because they look at and reinforce the concept of relational thinking when it comes to algebra. Ah, oh, yeah. Because you've got the two bars that are equal sizes mm -hmm. and you can start splitting things up so that they are proportional. So you start working with proportion 
and relational thinking with those two mm-hmm. models. So I give you an example. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna expose myself. Um, <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> well, it's a podcast. So <laughs> when I was driving up to Apollo Bay, it's a three hour drive or something from from where I am. And you know, you're looking at the K's ticking away, and you know. 350k. For our international <laughs> visitors, Apollo Bay is on the Great Ocean Road in southeastern Australia. Yes, it's a beautiful place. Mm. So at one point, I was looking at the, I was like, come on, when am I going to get there? It was like 75 kilometers to go and 100, 100 kilometers an hour. So in my head, in, in my uh, driving adult tired state, I was like, oh, 75 kilometers, driving at 100 kilometers an hour. How much is that? And, you know, these are the kind of problems that students will be dealing with when it, when it comes to whatever. Real life. Measurement, <laughs> real life. Thinking, thinking about it, in terms of a bar model, actually makes it visually easier for them to conceptualise what's actually going on when you're going a certain amount of kilometres in a certain number of hours. So I know if I can imagine I've got two bars and they're both equal mm-hmm. in, in length because they're equal in size. Right. Um, I'm travelling 100 kilometres in 60 minutes or right. one hour okay so, so that's your two bars so the 100 yep. kilometers and 60, 60 minutes so if i have traveled the whole 100 in the whole 60 minutes then how long to travel 75 kilometers so knowing that 75 is three quarters of 100 then i can put a line at three quarters and, and then put a line at three quarters of 60 as well because you know, they're mm-hmm. proportional. And then I've travelled three quarters of an hour, uh-huh. which is 45, 45 minutes. minutes. So I've got 45 minutes to go. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we've got through our year seven algebra and they've got quite a good uh, conceptual understanding. And so in year eight, we can keep up this conceptual understanding. What about when we get up to the the more complex algebra in perhaps 10A, 11 and 12? Mm-hmm. I think once you've built those foundations and, you know, there are other types of ways of teaching the algebra, you know, those things called algebra tiles and, Mm -hmm. you know, using arrays, you know, arrays are invaluable when you're teaching algebraic concepts because it gets them to understand the distributive law and perfect squares and, you know, the difference of two squares and all of those different things. If the students are introduced to these conceptual models from an early age, then they're much more effective in being able to incorporate them when they get into the higher level maths. So when they get to polynomials, they no longer have to rely on their conceptual models. They've already built up those skills and they have a strong skill set. And if they do need to go back and rethink their strategies like I'm not they're not really sure what they're doing there's a much higher chance of them being successful if they've had that foundation yes. because really students don't understand what x squared is like what is x squared you know until you actually see it um and it was only when i saw joe bowler's patterns and saw x squared mm. as just a square with unknown sides that's all x squared is and it's 
amazing the light bulbs mm. that you can see go off mm. in the classroom when the students get that. They've been working on this stuff for years going, what the heck is this? And then suddenly you show them, this is all it is actually, you guys, and they're like, oh, my God, like why did nobody ever show me this? <laughs> and I'll give you a personal example when – because I, I mean I, I – Went to school in the don't tell anyone the eighties. Um, so, <laughs> um, so you know, I, I learnt very procedurally, and mm. so when I and and I wasn't always successful at it either. Uh, I did most of my maths learning when I finished university and went mm. went off to become a teacher. <laughs> um, so you know, I was still doing my fractional like operations with fractions and everything very abstractedly you just multiply the tops and the bottoms mm-hmm. and you know the kids would go but why does why is this happening why do I mm-hmm. why do I have to flip the second fraction yeah. when I'm dividing and then change the sign and I'd be like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's still the way it is right? don't ask questions people um <laughs> so so then when one of my uh lovely colleagues that I used to work with at, at ABSI actually showed me how and I, I at the time I was I'd been introduced to the arrays and I'd been introduced mm-hmm. to the the sort of grids you know using grids with fractions and and things like that but I still was struggling to get my head around it and this is because of that whole you know when you learn procedurally it's really hard to break those habits yep. really difficult but I needed to learn this stuff mm. and she just simply came to me and she said Nadia Division of fractions, if you just take, you take 16 and you want to ask how many one-eighths, and she just simply did that. She changed the language. Mm. And as soon as she changed the language, it changed my whole 16, how many? To, oh, of course. That how of many. Course you multiply then. Yes. So if yeah. I had 16 counters and I broke them up into eighths, how many? is in each eight. How am I going to count them? I'm going to multiply by eight. You know, I'm going to multiply. Exactly. And it was just so, so I was like, oh, my God. Mm. That just completely blew everything out of the water. And as soon as I started down that conceptual path, it just opened up this whole new world of understanding maths, Mm. understanding even calculus, understanding all of those higher levels of maths that I'd never really appreciated before because – I've never been exposed yeah. to it. You knew the procedures. Yes. And you, yeah. you, you knew the procedures well enough to get a degree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I think that just about wraps up the algebra part of our conceptual understanding. I want to bring it back to the more practical. So I'm a year seven or eight teacher and I know that I have to teach a unit. Now, being having heard everything that you've said to me, I want to teach it conceptually but I've been given a textbook with certain learning intentions. What is my thought process when I go about planning my lessons or my units? Another great question, Leanne. Uh, Well, what I would do, what I would uh, recommend or suggest to all teachers is use the textbook by all means. I have nothing against textbooks. I think textbooks are great for reinforcing concepts and for developing sort of those skills that they need to to move forward into that abstract thinking. That's good because a lot of schools you get into trouble if you don't use the textbook. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. (laughs) I never go into a school and say don't use a textbook. But I believe in always introducing the lesson with a practical task or something that gets the students to connect 
either tactically, you know, through, you know, a, a hands-on activity or something conceptual or, you know, whether it's a number talk or whether it's a fraction talk or whether it's a, it's a hands-on task to, you know, learn a skill. So let's take another example. We've done fractions, we've done algebra. Let's, let's talk about geometry. Geometry is oh, so underutilized in terms of you know, the p- practical applications of geometry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Still seven, another bunch of rules. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. And, you know, we, we learn that the interior angles of a triangle are 180 and the interior angles of a quadrilateral are 360 and a, a pentagon is 540. And, you know, but why? Let's face it. Who remembers, unless you're working with pentagons, that the interior angles of a pentagon add up to 540? Like, nobody. Once I get past that. quadrilaterals, yeah, I never like, remember. We don't need to know that. But there's actually such a simple way of figuring that out, and it all starts at the triangle, right? So we know that 180 degrees. So generally, by the time students come into year seven, they know 180 degrees, they know 360 degrees. So we know that a triangle has 180 degrees. So there's a couple of ways that you can work with students on building their understanding of 180 degree triangle. James Tanton had a great session at MAV on um, something about the pencil and triangles it was amazing still available online for those of you that registered yes um it it was really good but a much easier way and quicker way of of doing it I found um was simply to get the students to draw a triangle freehand draw a triangle get them to cut it out if they've got scissors it's not cool to have pencil cases in year seven but if Um, anyone has scissors they they can cut out the triangle do you mean Um, (laughs) what do they have dare you have a pencil case like a side part in skinny jeans (laughs) so you know get them to cut out their triangle make it big enough so that they can work with and everybody the beauty of it is that everyone's going to draw a different triangle now they'll ask you like what sort of triangle should I just draw any triangle I don't care it's got to have three sides and three vertices then get them to the tear out the corners of each triangle and then get them to place them uh corner or vertex to vertex, like so corner to corner, mm-hmm. right? So, and what they'll find is no matter what shape their triangle is or what sort of triangle it is, it's always going to fit perfectly to form a 180 line. And it'll work every single time. And if you do it with a quadrilateral, regardless of what sort of quadrilateral, it'll all fit together to form a perfect point around a circle. Mm. And and that becomes the foundation of building your understanding about all polygons because the triangle is your basic polygon and then uh, two triangles make up a quadrilateral and three triangles make up a pentagon and four triangles make up a hexagon. So you just are multiplying it by two and then three and then four and then you can figure out what all of the interior angles of any polygon out there actually is and it's all proportional it's all proportional you know and and then through that if you're dealing with regular polygons and you're dealing with regular hexagon sorry regular pentagons regular hexagons regular mm-hmm. octagons you then divide it by however many sides it's got mm-hmm. and just introducing that builds such a deeper knowledge and understanding of polygons mm. i and, think it, it helps too with straight lines yeah because 
It was never really explained to me that any point on a straight line is 180 degrees. Yeah, yeah. But once you actually get to some more complex problem solving, you can use that idea, you know, no matter what. As long as you've got a straight line, you've got 180 degrees. And that, that again, comes back to the reasons why working conceptually is so powerful because then they go back to their basic understanding, their basic building block, their very first block that they lay down on their foundation and then they build around that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, having all of those foundational blocks there means that when they get to those higher levels skills that they need, the foundations, it's not shaky ground that they're building on. It's actually sturdy foundations and their transfer becomes a lot easier. Um, okay, so you've you've got this wealth of knowledge behind you, obviously, and and you were lucky enough to be able to see James Tanton, mm. you know, at MAV. What about the the teacher who's you know really busy and and hasn't got that behind them, but still wants to teach conceptually? All right, they're listening to this podcast. Great start, guys. <laughs> Great start. What do you recommend as far as? Um, learning about teaching conceptual understanding yeah it's a really tricky one because I was you know I remember when I was in the classroom it was so so hard to do anything extra other than just you know your prep and your marking and your you know your discipline and your classroom management and you know then there are the meetings that come and it's it's so so hard I would say that it's you know it is important to uh, find somebody, and there's so many people out there. There's J- James Tanton, Joe Bowler, you know, you've got Di Seaman, you've got you've got all of these mathematical gurus out there that have got some amazing things that they've done out on YouTube or on Twitter or all of these different different things. Some beautiful podcasts, obviously, like this one. <laughs> Matt's um, talking. Yeah. Is, is the premier podcast for yes. mathematics education in Australia. Is it really? Like well, <laughs> good to know. I feel privileged. I don't like to beat my own drum. But, <laughs> but you will. <laughs> um, so my my recommendation is... Get one person on your team to do one thing, mm-hmm. right? So you've got a team of five or six or ten or whatever. You know, divvy it up. Find something that one person is interested in and go, okay, who on the team would like to do a little bit of background research or professional development on fractions, you know, mm-hmm. and then this person goes away and they they sort of learn about it and then they can then bring that to the team and that can then be you know, get yep. them to, to work on the planning of this unit. You know, make your own internal math circle about discussing all of these concepts and bring it – or start with one thing. Start with one thing because, you know, you don't want to overwhelm the no. faculty. So say this year we're going to see how we can improve the teaching of fractions or the teaching of geometry. What yep. are we going to do to make this better? And then just work on that one thing. Yep. Great idea. Yep. Great idea. And look, AMSI Schools is here to help anytime. Please contact us on Twitter at AMSI Schools or on the AMSI Schools Facebook page or the even send us an email that's on the, the show notes. That would be great. I'm always happy to have a chat and point you in the the right direction. There are people that have some fantastic 
resources online that oh, that are so really many helping. out there. Yeah. So Steve many. Steve Wybery is that Steve Wybery? Um, you've got Dan Finkel with his oh, Mass yes. for Love. You've got oh, you know, we could we could go yeah. on and on. There there are so many things out there, but the problem with that is that there's so much stuff. Yes, sometimes you get lost, overloaded, and that's yeah. that's why it's such a great idea to. Find a guru, <laughs> yeah. and um, you know, always, always treat them with a grain of salt, yeah. and uh, look for non-examples and that sort of thing. But and know, reach out, reach out mm. to some of those professionals. I mean, yeah. I've done it in the mm. past. Sometimes I get a response. Sometimes I get completely um, ignored. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's worth it in the end because I'm sure if somebody contacted you and said, "Look, I'm I'm looking for ABC. I don't know where to start." Like, yeah. you're more than happy. I mean, have people heard Leanne speak? She she loves it. She'd be more than happy to tell you. Very hard to shut up. Very hard. Yes. We've all all noticed. On that note, I'm going to shut up. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today, Nadia. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you once again. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. It's nice to be back in the hot seat. It really is, isn't it? (laughs) If you'd like further information on anything we've spoken about, please get in touch with us. Our contact details are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.